We are going into Holy Week. In the next two weeks, Passion Week, Holy Week, we are leading up to, to Easter. And too often what we do is we, we get sidetracked. We, we, we lose our way. And, and so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at, at one of the, the Lent passages. One of the passages that are, that are found in a lectionary that I, that I want us to look at for one, just a few minutes. And then I want to wrap it up with this whole idea of how do we respond? But here's the biggest problem with Easter. It's like Christmas. We come here and, and, I, and over the next few weeks, everyone will be here. Everyone will be here. It's almost like this, this thing in us that makes us go to church because it's the right holy thing to do. But you see, the only reason we gather is not even because of Christmas. We gather because of Easter. When we come to Easter, it's not the highlight of our faith. It's actually the beginning of our faith. Let me say that. Easter is the beginning of our faith because without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there's no Easter. Amen? There's no salvation. Amen? If it wasn't for what Jesus had done, we would still have to try to figure out this law. And if you are not Jewish or were not raised Jewish, you would not know what law to live by. But because of Jesus, we celebrate. We celebrate Him. And so today is not the leading up to almost the conclusion of our journey. Today is actually the beginning of our journey. And it's very interesting when you read the passages of Jesus, he, His words get that were always very strong and, and, and pointed in everything He did. Everything He did, His words were strong and pointed. But imagine this. Imagine if you knew that you had three weeks left with your family. Okay? Imagine this. We just know of two, two young men whose dad passed this week, and it just wrecked our family. I mean, it really... I could never imagine. I could never imagine leaving my kids... Now, do I look forward to heaven? Yes. My daughter had to leave her class crying over these two kids. And probably because of the thought if anything ever happened to me. But imagine, if you had three weeks left, what would you want to talk about with them? The Yankees? The Jets? Please no, not the Jets. As much as I love them, not the Jets. Would you talk about your favorite hobbies? Would you talk about the books that you love? Would you sit around and crack signfold jokes with one another? Something in your eyes would change. Something in your being, your posture, no matter how sick you are, no matter what you are going through, everything that you would talk about was the last. The last. And it's funny because what Jesus had talked about at the end of His life was actually the very same teachings that He taught in the beginning of His life. Let me say that again. The very same teachings that Jesus taught at the end of His life were the very same teachings that He taught in the beginning of His life. And so I want to read to you a passage. Listen to this. Turn with me to John chapter 12. 
23 through 26. This is this week's Lent passage. Now right now, in the vast majorities of churches throughout the world, this is the Gospel passage they are reading. How do I know this? Because this is taken out of the lectionary. Right now, there are thousands of churches, tens of thousands of churches this morning reading this single passage. It says this, Jesus replied, Now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into His glory. You see, this is the end of His life. And He's saying, Now it's time that I go. I'm going to the Father. I tell you the truth. And here's the key. So all of a sudden, everyone's like, go to your glory? Aren't you going to, to build, a, build a kingdom? Aren't you going to reign here on earth? Aren't you supposed to set up a new system? A new religious system? A new political system? Aren't you supposed to set up a whole new world for us that we are now going to become more than conquerors of those before us? And so all of a sudden, the ears start perking up. And this is what Jesus says right when He says that I'm going to leave you. I'm going to be glorified. I'm going to die. I'm going to be taken away. And the interesting thing about this is that He's not only saying this to those who are he, he is most intimate with. He is saying this to a large crowd. And that's what I love about Jesus. And, and people ask me, like, you're kind of like a freak of nature. Not physically. You're kind of like a freak of nature, Rob, because who you are when I'm having coffee with you is the same person when you're on the platform. Who you are at home with your kids is the same person that you are in crowds. And for me, as I've always tried to live this way because everything that Jesus had done in private, He did in public. There was never like this dualistic lifestyle, but there was a discipline in His life that He was the same individual in every single setting. Now that could be the sermon right there, Amen, Hallelujah, drop the mic, let's go home. But in that, the same thing that you thought that He would only tell His disciples is what He was sharing with all He loves. Why? Because there has to come a point in our lives that as much as I love my children, as much as I love my wife, as much as I put them on a pedestal, and, and you hear how I pray, Sue, I mean, we have a rocking marriage. I mean, it is awesome. It is hard at times, but it is always, always awesome. But God has called me to love others as I love them. And so listen to what he says. He says, I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels. A plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me. Because my servants must be where I am. 
And the Father will honor anyone who serves me. Just go back to the beginning of that part where it says, I tell you the truth, unless the kernel of wheat, just go back up there. Unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels. A plentiful harvest of new lives. Who do you think Jesus was talking about? Himself. He was talking about this this mystery, and and I love when he tells parables because he really brings objects to life. He brings objects to life, and he he says, do you know that mystery of a kernel? Like this this seed that seems dead? What happens when when you plant that one seed and you bury it? You take that one seed and you bury it. You put that seed to death. Something supernatural happens. And that seed goes through a process where it actually comes back to life. And when it grows, it just doesn't make one kernel to feed people, but it produces many. No, when you're on vacation and you're walking, whether it be in Vermont or West Virginia or Indiana or Ohio, and you see something and you, and you, and you grab a piece of wheat and you, and you take it and you see like the, all these little heads of kernels and, you, and, you, and you're a little kid and you kind of take your finger and you go, and you pull them all off. And there's tons of them. There's not one, one seed did not plant one kernel to eat. One kernel did not plant one thing of wheat that we eat. Just a one. It produces many. And Jesus is saying that I will be put to death so that many can have life. Many meaning all who will believe in Him. And he tells them in a parable, and, and we know that afterwards, what would the disciples always do? Hey, tell us the meaning of that parable. What did you mean by that, that the kernel and the wheat? And Jesus must have been like, come on, guys. How many times have I got to tell you the same, same thing? But that's what Jesus did. He prepared his people that his death and resurrection was going to produce what? Life. Say it with me. Life. And all of a sudden, you can see this. If, if anyone's getting it, they're like, yeah, that's what's going to happen. You are going to die, and you are going to allow everyone who believes in you to have life. And I think that's where we love to stop, right there. Jesus died. One man was buried, and out of him became life for many. And the reason Jesus uses the word many is that deep down I know He wants to say all because He desires that no man, woman perish. But there's this mystery of faith that the many represents those who will believe in Him. Those who will step out and say, I believe that you were that kernel of wheat. I believe that you were the one that was, was put in the tomb and all of a sudden when they went to go find him that, that, it, that you were gone and, and that you were appeared over 40 days and that you were brought back to life and that today you were seated on the throne in heaven. Amen? Anyone there? Amen. We believe that and we love that and we want to stop right there and the truth is, is that that's the message that most of us have grown up hearing. 
Truth? That's all. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. Do we all agree with that? Yes. But watch what Jesus does. Watch what He does. Verse 25, those who love their lives in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am. So Jesus' whole life, He has taught them this. He has taught them the truth that there is a God who loves the world so much that He sent a Son that would have to be put to death and be brought to life so humanity would be saved. That Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice for all sins. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter who you've been with, no matter how you've lied, no matter how you've cheated, no matter how you've stolen, no matter the decisions you made, that when you believe in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ has the power to not only forgive you, but transform you. Amen? That's the truth. But his whole life he taught this. His whole life he mimicked it. But he said, but unless you want to fully understand the fullness of what I've done and what I'm going to do, you must follow me. Mark chapter 8, verse 34 through 38. Anyone who wants to save his life will lose it. Anyone who wants to lose his life will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? When I was in college, that verse changed my life. If you would say, what one verse changed your life? That same verse in Mark chapter 8, verse 34 through 36, radically revolutionized who you know today. The imperfect man who is constantly trying to follow Jesus. Because for a whole weekend, I studied this passage where was I willing to be like Jesus? Was I willing to live a life of sacrifice? Was I willing to take all my dreams, all my ambitions, everything that I thought was best for me and trust in Jesus Christ what He had best in store for my future, for my life, for my destiny? And the thing that I love about this passage is that Jesus did not say this only to his disciples. I got into a full-out argument with a pastor of a megachurch over this passage. I really did. Him and I went toe-to-toe. And I was only a 20-something-year-old punk. But he looked at these passages and he said, you know what, Jesus only said this to the disciples. This small little group, he called them to this radical life and only a few people had to give up their life for everything and die and, and be like these martyrs for the world. And I said, where did you find that? Well, he's speaking to the disciples. Well, if you have right, correct exegesis, you would see that he was speaking to the crowd. Because that's the call of Jesus Christ. To fully experience the power of Jesus Christ 
is to mirror the life that he lived. And when people do not, their lives are train wrecks. High, low, high, low, high, low, high, low. They have two months good, six months bad. Two months good, six months bad. One month good, eight months bad. And all of a sudden they say, I don't want this anymore. I can't do it anymore. This Jesus stuff doesn't work. The problem is not the Jesus stuff. It's that too many people are sitting in the audience hoping that they can be invited into the game or expecting the rules of the game to apply to their life. It's like being a Jets fan, me yelling at, me yelling at the team for losing. It's me getting mad at the Jets that they can't win a Super Bowl because I bleed gangrene and yet they won't win the Super Bowl for me. And that's kind of how we view Christianity. And Jesus said, I want you to get out of the bleachers and I want you to get on the field and I want to teach you the fullness of life that is found in being a follower and a disciple of Jesus Christ. I want to say something very humbly and I hope you don't take it arrogantly. I know without a shadow of doubt that I'm going to heaven. I know that when my time on earth is, is over, that I'm going to heaven. Because I know that He's my Lord. And I know every time I sin, and my children, do I sin often? <laughs> he just laughed. I know that every time I can go before the throne room of God and get on my, my knees and weep my eyes out because I want to know the will of God. That's the gospel message. Amen? And we could say that this sounds elementary, but if it's so elementary, then why is the church in the Western world not living it for the world to see? If it's so elementary and so true and we believe all this stuff, then why is it so elementary that all of a sudden, all of a sudden, we really truly believe that faith has failed us? And I'll tell you why. The elementary part is the first part. Jesus died on the cross. Risen, given us life. But the deep part, the deeper life is saying, am I going to follow you and live the life that you lived? We want to make the gospel elementary, but the fullness and the blessing and the deeper life is when we say, I want to follow Jesus. I want to point out two things. Two things right now. Two things. The disciples had followed Jesus. And the two things that I'm going to point out right now are, are, are really my two biggest convictions. My two biggest convictions. If you know me, you either love me or hate me for these two things. You either want to hang out with me or you don't because of these two things. There's two things that, that, that I really see what it means to be a disciple that Jesus mirrored that allowed the disciples to experience the fullness of life. And the first thing is this, that Jesus modeled this loving community that was producing life all around them. When Jesus invited his disciples with him, it wasn't people he knew 
They were strangers. Philip and Andrew and Peter and Bartholomew. All these guys, Matthew known as Levi, all these guys were strangers. They weren't people that he grew up with. The only person that we know that Jesus grew up with was who? John the Baptist. But Jesus had this this hope and this message and this radical lifestyle that was going to revolutionize the world that he found individuals who were strangers. You know what the word hospitality means in Greek? Love of stranger. The word hospitality in Greek means love of stranger. We think it's the person we know next to us. It's loving those who we don't even know. And he invited these 12 and all of a sudden they started living in this place where where this love was just so powerful and so effective that it was authentic and it was pure. And at times it rubbed each other the wrong way, but, but there was this loving community that Jesus had created that they learned to trust one another even when it seemed like there were a couple devils in the midst. And he, they created this, this loving community that all of a sudden went from 12 to 72 to 150 And because some people didn't like what Jesus was saying that to experience fullness of life, to give their lives over because they wanted wanted the show. They wanted the healing, the deliverance. They they wanted to just kind of walk around with Jesus and everything is turning on Jesus, turning on Jesus, turning on Jesus. Okay, we're going to hear. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? All of a sudden Jesus said, see all these miracles? It's more than that. The only reason I do miracles and deliverance and freedom is so that people will glorify the Father through me. And all the time what Jesus would do is he would take his disciples and he said, now go, go, go. He said, you want to learn faith? You two go by yourself. Don't take anything with you and go do what I did. Go mimic how I lived. Go show everyone what it's about. And the disciples would be like, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it. Let Omar do it. Let Jeremy go. Send Omar and Jeremy, please. But every time they came back, they were wowed. You see that loving community that you built here? There's one going on in Antioch. There's one going on over the river. There's one going on over the sea. All these different things. But Jesus created this loving community where he accepted everyone. Everyone was welcomed. Let's say that. Everyone was welcomed. But everyone had to change. And it wasn't a rule. It's when they didn't want to work on certain areas in their life and it started rubbing on the things that they really didn't want to give up. Or Jesus would say, eat my, eat my flesh, drink my blood. They would say, okay, now you're getting a little too weird for me, Jesus. You don't know my daddy issues. You don't know my mommy issues. You don't know my past this or my past that. You don't know any of these things. You don't know my fill in the blank. You don't know my childhood. You don't know, my iPad's going to break. Thank you. That's what you were pointing at. You don't know any of these things going on. You don't know my garbage. And Jesus says, yes, I do. And the thing that I love about Jesus and the, one of the first reasons that I follow Him is because He welcomed me in. He welcomed me in. He welcomed me into a loving community. 
And in that, he has always put people in my life that love me the right way and rub me the wrong way. Do you hear me? That love me the right way and rub me the wrong way. And that's something, if we want to truly know, this whole idea is not just giving up my heart so Jesus will save it. You saved my soul. And yes, I sound like I'm mocking because I am. I'm mocking that. Because it's more than just Jesus saving my soul. It's just Jesus is saving my soul. And I've experienced this transformational life that I don't keep it to myself and, and I don't sit there and wrestle with who I am, but instead I just say, Jesus you brought me in. I was broken. I was messed up. I was whacked. I had issues. I had mommy issues. I had this issue. I had that issue. And all of a sudden, you just started bringing healing. And the healing came most. Amen? When God put people in my path that I could speak into their lives and they can speak into mine. I almost punched out a friend of mine in the airport one time because he was literally rubbing me the wrong way. Because God was trying to get at an issue in my heart. He was rubbing me in the wrong way that I said, John, I said, you better get away from me. 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 I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'll get arrested. It'd be better than being with you. But I'll say this, my friend John at the time allowed me to go through a healing process that I was being tormented by. Every single day, God brought healing. With the right person, oftentimes rubbing me the wrong way. And it wasn't just him and I going to coffee, him and I going to coffee, and I don't need anyone else. It was him and I in a community where we could be speaking into each other's lives and other lives as well. You see, a kernel of wheat falls into the ground to die so that much can come. And Jesus, in other words, was saying, I'm going to scatter you all and you're going to all, if you give up your life, all of a sudden there's going to be a harvest of many. Of many. The next one is this. Jesus produced a healing community. A healing community. And the reason he produced the healing community is that everyone that he welcomed in, he did not care about their issues. He did not care if they were divorced. He did not care if they had an ailment. He, they did not care if they were, their personalities were different. They did not care if they had learning disabilities. He didn't even care about their sexual orientation. <gasps> what did he just say? What's Rob saying? You can laugh. Because why? Jesus wanted to transform everyone. Yes, bringing relational healing. Bringing personality healing. Some of us need a personality healing, right? Amen? Turn to your neighbor. Turn to your neighbor and say, you need a personality healing. Turn to your neighbor. Look him in the eyes. Come on. All right? Turn to your other neighbor. All right, stop. Stop. Tell your fiance she needs a personality healing. Okay? You need to tell him then. All right? Turn to your neighbor and say it again. You need a personality healing. Okay? It's okay. 
You need a, you're perfect. All right? Now, Jesus wanted to bring healing. He wanted to bring sexual healing. Yes, I will say this. I don't care where you're at. I don't care what's going on with you. Jesus wants you to fall in love in a proper biblical way. He just crossed that line. I did. Why? Because Jesus has what's best for you. But you know what? There's a lot of people that have sexual issues for a lot more reasons than what we think. They're not these little shallow things, but, but if you've ever struggled with any sexual stuff, you realize it's deeper than just something you saw on TV. You realize it's just something that you flirted with. You realize that there's something, something that has embarked you and embraced you and put you in prison and you're saying, I hate this. And I'm not just talking about homosexuality. I'm talking about a lot of sexual stuff. But Jesus wants to heal you. And some of you are nervous because when I say this, you're looking around the room right now. But I will tell you this. Jesus' healing is perfect. And too often, we want people to have healing out there before they come in here. Shame on us. Shame on us. Well, I got to get my life ready before I come to the church. Really? I almost swore, but I'm not going to. Really? Healing is found in here. Healing is found in here. The demoniac. Remember that story of the guy running around freaking out butt naked? Remember that story? Remember that story? Jesus healed him. Jesus healed him. He can heal everything and anything. And he even told that guy, that butt naked man running around, ha ha ha, he said butt naked. He healed him to go back to his community. He said, stay, stay, stay. And mirror that community for everyone else. For everyone else. God totally revealed something to my heart this morning. Thursday night was awesome. We had a time of prayer. And Mark Shishmonian came. And we are praying for healing for Mark. Amen? We're praying for healing. Hands up. Who's praying for Mark for healing? Do you know I was with Mark two weeks ago? And he was in his office and he was crying. He said, Rob... No matter what happens to me, what this church has been for me and my family is the greatest thing. Let me give you a little background on Mark. I know he wouldn't mind me saying this. He came from a very tough church situation where it was hard to trust the church. Correct, Aram? Right? He came from some situations with Christians that it was like a Christian club and, and you had to be a certain way and you had to be perfect and you had to be this and you had to be that and, and, and all of a sudden it was this whole cultural thing that they were, they were just getting frustrated with. They, they came to church at the plant and showed up. And he said, Rob, I can't tell you what God has done in my life through you people. And I said, you mean us? God has done a healing in Mark's life from the moment he stepped into the plant, continuing on.
that I'm going to continue to pray for healing. Amen? But I know this, and this is not a consolation. This is a truth and a fact. Healing has already come to Mark Shishmanian through you. Through you. You are healers. You have the power of Jesus Christ in your life that is bringing healing. And I know this, that so many people that have engaged in this community of love, truth, and compassion has brought healing. And I know that there are so many physical healings I want to see, but maybe what God has been teaching me first and foremost is that community comes in healing. Healing of relationships. Healing of trust. Healing of the future. Healing of the Scriptures. Healing of believing that God is God and I am not. Maybe that's where healing begins. And then the physical healings flow from that. God wants us to be a healing community. But you will never, listen to me, you will never ever experiencing the full healing power of Jesus Christ if you don't become that kernel of wheat and say, I'm going to die to this world and I'm going to love people as Christ loves me. You will never experience it. And I know, I've had conversations. I have talked with my elders. I've talked with Scott Hosier that I have literally sat down with people that have come here and says, man, I, I feel this pressure that, 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 and I know you haven't told me it directly, but, but I've got to jump into community. And, and you know what? I don't want it. I said, okay. You don't want it. I want to come hear you and I want to bring my kids to this and I, and I want the things that, that make me feel good, but I don't want it. I said, but I'm going to tell you this. And he, this really ticked him off. I said, this is not about what church you go to. This is about what Jesus has called you to. Jesus has called you to disciple your children. Jesus has just told you that, that if you call yourself a Christian and you want to have the, your kids have the best opportunity to grow in faith, that you're part of a Christian community. And you know what he said to me? You're going to tell me. I was at Horizon Diner. And he looked over me and said, you're going to tell me how to raise my kids? I said, no, the Bible's going to. Why are some of you here today? Let's put this on the table. Some of you are here today for, for, for really three reasons. One, I dragged you along. Two, you went to a church that you were just frustrated with and you're like, they don't have community. There's no community. There's none. I just feel like no one knows me. I feel like no one knows who I am. I feel like that, that if I walked in and had a gun to my head and said, I'm going to blow my head off. Thanks for coming. Here's an announcement. And some of you are here because you're just so frustrated in life and saying, I need something more and the plant's kind of a whacked out name and maybe they're good for me. Hopefully they're not a cult. You know, it's kind of that hopefully they're not. Jesus was a healing community. He created a human community that went all the way through through the early church all the way through that the, the, the lifestyle that Jesus had always lived was always present in the church until people made it an organized religion. That's what happened. 
And in the Western world, the Western Hemisphere, we have experienced it the most. And here's the truth. We don't know any better. Let's be fair to ourselves. I'm not here preaching to you and telling you what you're doing wrong. I know, I know that this is so foreign to Christians. I know that it is so foreign to Christians to say, you know what, I'm going to start putting other people first. I'm going to start trying to love people like I love my children. I know that when I see someone in need and I feel that nudge, that oomph, that that I'm really going to trust giving to it. I know that, that God talks about provision and that when I give him what all that he asks of me, he will bless me. I know this is all foreign. We are used to 30-minute TV Christianity. But I do know this. That that's the only way that Christianity is real and authentic. And any other way is a lie from hell. Any other way is a lie from hell. If I had the opportunity to go to a church and speak at a large congregation and just preach every week, I would never do it. Because I would rather mobilize a group of people that want to do something awesome. Awesome. And do you know what would happen if everyone in this room put themselves in the ground like Jesus and said, I'm going to learn to be a loving and healing person who functions and lives in community we would see a harvest of revival. And the only way we see revival in the United States is through this. But here's the enemy. Individualism. Consumerism. And selfishness. We like talking family, but we don't like being family. And as long as we try to keep our world in these little boxes and, and family, work, athletics, recreation time, church, you will never learn the fullness of Jesus Christ. But when you say that I am going to step into this life fully for who I am and I'm going to bring all my worlds together, that's when the power of Jesus is made known. Do you know a lot of the places where Jesus had made radical uh, movements happen? They weren't just these poor little cities. We always think about that. Like Jesus does the most in cities, right? Because they're poor people and they need Jesus the most. You need Jesus more than them. You hear me? You need Jesus more than them. You need Jesus just as much, if not more, than them. And I know this. When I study John Wesley, when I study A.B. Simpson, when I study Paul and Peter and all these guys, every move of God, which one is coming, happened when we said, we are a church that's a family of believers that are going to become a loving community. We're going to become a healing community. And it's going to begin by saying it's no longer about me. That's what it means to put to death yourself. Is that simple? Is that confusing? That's the story of Easter. That's the story of Lent. That's what a missional community is supposed to be.
And I know some of us were trying it, we're limping along, and we're limping along, and it's, yeah, it's kind of fun, but it's exhausting. Yeah, it's kind of fun, but it's exhausting. But I know this, that the moment you say, I'm going to stop doing things my way, and I am going to learn to truly love people and be a healing presence within this community so we can learn to live out there. That's when the gospel is transformational. That's when the gospel is transformational. Amen? Amen. We're going to go to communion now. Could the band come on up? We're going to do a song leading into it. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to really take this time of communion. And I don't want you to take communion if you're just saying, I'm doing it because I have to, so I get some kind of coverage for the week. Communion doesn't cover you for the week. There's nowhere in Bible it says that. Communion is a recognition that I believe that Jesus was put to death. I believe that He was put to death so that I may have life, so I may put myself to death so that other people would have life. That's the Gospel. If you're saying, Jesus, I want to learn to do this, come and eat with us. This is a song of preparation. Pray about it. And if you're like, I'm not there, don't come. No one's going to look at you. There's a reason you're not going to come because something in you is broken. Something's hurting. Something is questioning. Something's like, I've heard this before and I'm so sick of it. But Jesus is saying today is, I want you to relearn and experience the power of the gospel and the community of saints. Amen? Lord, take this song of preparation. Prepare our hearts that we may become a community that loves you and loves others. A community that is healing, not just for our own selfish needs, but for the needs and sicknesses of others. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.